We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. Listen, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Emma Adams, the lead pastor here at Hope Church. Uh, feel free to like park it. We're going to be here for just a few minutes. Listen, this week has been crazy. I came back from Florida. I don't know what you guys did with your weather while I was gone, but I don't like it. It was 95. I came here and it's sleeting. I don't enjoy this. And then the time change, I am so thrown um, and I just want to say that I would prefer to be back in Florida, but God called me here. So I'm excited to be here doing what God wants. I just uh, am looking forward to Friday's weather. Anybody looking forward to 70s? Yeah. Yes. I am for that for sure. I'm done with the jackets and the toboggans. I'm ready for some cooler, I mean, some warmer temperatures. And uh, I'm ready, 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 so ready. Listen, last week we talked about what it looked like for us to live our lives in such a way that we could face ugly people and remain pretty, right? I don't mean on the outside, of course, I mean on the inside. And we looked at the life of King David before he was King David when he had his struggles with Saul. I mean, Saul was ugly, but David in the face of all of his ugliness was just so faithful, I am so excited to share with you this morning what we can do when we're faced with ugly circumstances. Can we be honest for a minute? I don't know about you, but my news feed has been full of the ugliness that this world can offer, right? If you haven't been living under a rock, the, the war in Ukraine is ridiculous. I mean, people are dying. This is terrible. There, there is a lack of food. I mean, who bombs, uh, uh, you know, a place just to get rid of people's food supplies? I mean, this is crazy. The, the, this is definitely a statement. Um, I am with the people of Ukraine, and we are with them, because no one, no one should have to undergo this war. It is ugly, ugly, ugly. Just so you know, at the end of uh, this message today, you're going to be given an opportunity to partner with us and give to the Wesleyan Emergency Relief Fund for Ukraine. Um, those funds will go directly to refugees in Ukraine who are fleeing. Um, it will help them provide them with food and shelter um, and the necessities that they need as they leave their home country. Can you imagine for just a minute having to leave everything that you've worked so hard your life long for? to know that it was going to be destroyed, and to not know if you could ever return. We have an opportunity to be pretty in ugly circumstances. So today, as we dive into God's Word, I hope that together we can find a way to reflect the beauty of God's holiness when we are in the most ugly circumstances. For me, um, it's been a long time now, and I talked a little bit about it last week, but we left a very, very, very unhealthy religious organization. And when we left, we actually were living with the pastor, air quotes, um, of this organization and left in the middle of the night. We were buying a house, but we had nowhere to live, so we literally had to go to a hotel. 
we packed up all of our stuff and kind of threw it in the back of a truck and went to a hotel and were barraged by phone calls and phone calls and phone calls from these, the leadership. But one of the things that resulted was we lost everyone. You see, in that Unwell Fleet organization, we were encouraged to sever ties with our family. We were 14 hours away from them, and um, it was not uh, uh, looked good on to uh, have a connection with your mom and dad even, um, which kind of gives you a picture of the unhealth of that organization. Uh, but I remember feeling this overwhelming sense of being alone. I had no family or friends in the area. We had no one to help us uh, move into the house we were, we were getting in, uh, in that area. And I was just utterly overwhelmed with being alone. I particularly remember having to move a dresser um, and it was heavy, and it was just Alfie and I. Literally, we were cut off from any friends that we had in the organization. They were told, do not call them. You are not allowed to have contact with the Adams anymore. Like, they were warned. Isn't that crazy, right? And, and I had no one to help us with this dresser. And I remember being so exhausted and so weary and trying to put this dumb dresser in my house, and I was just sobbing. And one of Alfie's coworkers at the company showed up, and I literally fell onto them like crying because I was so relieved <laughs> that somebody was there to help. Even in the ugliest of circumstances, we can learn how to respond beautifully. I can tell you I didn't always get it right at that time in my life, um, but I did learn a lot from that season in my life. And this morning, we're going to look at the life of Ruth. I don't know about you. Have you been there? Have you ever lost somebody? And you're just like, God, where did you go? And you feel lost. Or maybe you've experienced like a fire and you lost everything that you worked for. Or, or maybe you didn't have the resources to feed yourself or your family and you find yourself in ugly circumstances. This morning we have a family who would very much identify with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters um, because they had some ugly circumstances in their life. And we all face ugly circumstances at one point in our lives or another, and it can often be without warning. It can be a death, it can be loss, it can be abuse, it can be pain uh, that can literally strip the beauty from our lives. But this morning, I would challenge you that if we can just press in to the presence of God and do what this person and these people did, we will find the way forward to be beautiful and reflect God's beauty in our ugliest of circumstances. We're going to look into the lives of some unlikely heroes in the book of Ruth this morning. Man, it's one of my favorite stories. It, it reads very quickly and very easily. There's only four chapters, but Ruth is kind of remarkable. Ruth is only one of two books of the Bible that is named for a woman, and what's even more remarkable than that is that it's named for a woman who isn't even Jewish. She was a Gentile. Now, back in the day, Gentiles were anybody who was not of God's chosen people from the line of Abraham or Israelites. Um, and so to have this woman have her own book in the Bible is amazing to me that she would be able to have this honor. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason why Ruth is in here. And I think it's to paint a picture of what life can look like when we begin to embrace God and reflect his beauty back into our world. Let's take a look at Ruth chapter 1. Now, you're going to have to bear with me because this is a long one, but it's a good one, okay? So we're going to be reading uh, Ruth 1, 
1 through 22. It's going to be on the screen. It says, In the days that the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Listen, famine had to be pretty serious for this man to take his whole family to Moab because Moab was not good. Like the Moabites were people who worshiped other gods and like they did child sacrifice and they were all freaky weird and like it was not great. So it had to be bad for this guy to head out. So the man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion and they were Ephrathites uh, from Bethlehem and Judah. Who else was from Bethlehem? Do you remember? David, same guy from last week. You're going to see connections all throughout this. Um, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Here's a really fun side fact that has nothing to do with my message that's a bit of useless information in case you ever care. Did you know that Oprah's wife, uh, Oprah's mom, actually named her after Orpah but got the spelling wrong, and so it became Oprah? Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? She explained that story. Okay, side note, has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, but after they had lived there for about 10 years, the text says both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. So when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people all the way back in Bethlehem by providing food for them, she and her daughters prepared to return home from there. So we have Ruth there, and with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she was and, and where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judea, or Judah, sorry. And then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you. Go home, girls, she said. Go home. Go to your mother's home, and may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Naomi's being very generous here in this moment. She's giving the girls an out. She's saying, look, I have nothing to offer you. I don't even know if there's actually food back home. All I know is that I have some property left there, and it's the only thing I have left of my dead husband and my sons, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to die. Like, this is my plan for my life, is I'm going to go back to where I was born, and I'm going to die. And so uh, then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said... Um, she said to the girls, listen, I want you to, to go ahead home. But they said, no, we're not going to go home. We're going to come with you. And so this is what happens in, in verse 11. It says, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Even if I could give you husbands now, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far bitter for me than they are for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law is gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But listen to this response. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. 
and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me be severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said to them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. Have you ever been there? You ever felt like, don't call me. Don't call me my name. I got to change my name because there is nothing good that's happened. She said to them, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, this is kind of an odd family. And as you see from the interchange between Ruth and Naomi, something crazy is happening. Naomi is at the end of her rope. She is living in the ugliest of circumstances. Can you imagine for a moment losing your spouse and then losing your children and being left with two women who you really probably weren't really thrilled that your son's married in the first place? Right? Because you're like, they're Moabite. We don't do that. And they're like, but we love them. Right? And so here she is with these two daughter-in-laws, and she has no way of supporting them. And she's at the end of her faith. She's like, God has been, like, the Almighty has dealt with me severely, and I'm done. I'm out. But in that moment, like, she's the worst evangelist ever. Can we just talk about how Naomi is the worst evangelist ever, right? Because she's like, God has dealt with me horribly, and I'm sad about my life right now. And you know what's crazy is that Ruth goes, oh, yeah, really? Well, I can see that God is good, even in these circumstances, and I'm going to dedicate my life to your God. So at the end of Naomi's faith is the beginning of Ruth's faith, a faith in God so much so that she'll say, I'm going to abandon my mama and my daddy and my hometown, and I'm going to come with you, and whatever happens to you happens to me. We're in this together, Naomi. How amazing is it that oftentimes when we are at the end of our ropes and our circumstances are the absolute ugliest, it is the opportune moment for somebody to look at our lives and see the hand of God if we would just take a minute to be honest with other people and say, you know what, I don't understand what's happening in my life and my circumstances are dire and my life pretty much sucks right now, but I'm going to tell you God still is with me. If you take that opportunity to be real with people, they're going to see a real faith. I want to tell you that at Hope Church, we will always honestly be vulnerable and real about our struggles in our lives. I will always talk about my time in that unhealthy religious organization. You know why? Because I think it's helpful for people to know what it's like to struggle and overcome and wrestle with fear and doubt and the ugliest of people and the ugliest of circumstances we will always be honest here. We will always be vulnerable here. I want you to see in this passage and in Ruth that Ruth converts because Naomi actually is sacrificial and would allow Ruth to return with her. And Ruth faith begins when Naomi's having a crisis of faith. 
So we jump in to chapter two, but I want to, I want to take note that Ruth says here in chapter one, she says, may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. She makes a promise and an oath to the Lord. May the Lord deal with me, she says. That's going to be important in just a little bit. But Ruth goes out. They come in and she says, listen, uh, Naomi, let me go out and get us some food, okay? And Naomi says, yeah, that's a good idea. Go and glean from a field. Gleaning is when you go behind the crops of a farmer. There's actually a, a, a law a Levitical law that said um, of Israelites, when you go to harvest your crops in your field, don't harvest it all. Leave some. Leave some left over for people who are poor and needy and hungry. You see, God is always, always worried about his people. <coughs> Sorry. God always cared. And so this is the opportunity that Ruth had. <coughs> to go and find um, food. So she goes out and she goes to a closed field and she begins to glean. <coughs> and so um, she works behind the harvesters. And listen to this, it says, as it turns out, thank you, as it turns out, this happens to be the field of a man named Boaz. Uh, Boaz is a rich dude in the in the town, he is a farmer, has lots of fields, and he's also a relative of Elimelech, her dead husband. So she has the opportunity to go and work in his field. And it says, just then, Boaz shows up. Just then, Boaz shows up. As it turns out, just then. And Ruth is noted for her hard work. Boaz sees her working, <coughs> and he asks his workers, who this? Who that is out there? She all right. I see her hustling. I see her gathering. Who's that? And they said, oh, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. You know, Naomi, you know, Elimelech's wife. You know, he did. He's like, yeah, I heard. Um, and he said, okay, that's amazing. And so he takes Ruth and he says, hey, girl, hey, girl. He said, hey, girl, I've seen you. Why don't you come over here and eat with me? And, and so he, he invites her to dinner. And he says to her, listen, stay right here with us where you gather grain and don't go to other fields because, man, they sketchy out there. And I don't want you to get hurt. So I want you to stay here in my fields with me. Okay, boo? You stay with my people, and I've told them to protect you, so you're going to be all right. And this is what she says. She says, um, she fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. She said, what have I done to deserve such kindness? I am only a foreigner. Boaz replies, yes, I know. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. He blesses her. He's like, girl, I heard about you. I heard that you were faithful. In the middle of the ugliest circumstances, girl, I heard you were faithful. 
Can I tell you that faithfulness paves the way for God's kindness? You want God's kindness in your life, and trust me, you want God's kindness in your life. Be faithful. Ruth was faithful. In everything she did, she was faithful. She was faithful to the needs of Naomi, who couldn't care for herself. Can I tell you that God loves it when we step in the line of somebody who needs and is poor and has uh, like no ability to ever pay us back. When we step in and bless somebody and make sure that they're cared for, God sees that. And he's like, whoa. He's like Boaz. He's like, whoa, I see you. Okay. And then Boaz is faithful to the needs of Ruth. He says, hey, girl, you stay with my people. You glean from my fields. You go ahead and stay with my people. I'm going to protect you. Not only that, here's some roasted grain and here's some for your mother-in-law. Make sure she's taken care of. So Ruth's faithfulness leads to Boaz's faithfulness. And it comes right back on Ruth. She's got food for her and her mother-in-law. In verse 23 of chapter 2, we see that Ruth stayed faithful long after she, she needed to. It says, so Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer and all while she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth had options. I don't know if you know this, but she had options. The girl had options. She didn't have to stay with her mother-in-law even after coming back to Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, she was had, had so much food that she was able to sell it, take care of her family, take care of herself. <coughs> she didn't have to stay with Naomi, but she stayed faithful. And Naomi returns the faithfulness. And we see in chapter 3 that Naomi tells Ruth, listen, girl, I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do. I'm going to teach you how to catch a man. She's like, this is how we Jews do it, okay, girl? I'm going to teach you step by step. Listen to what I say. <coughs> and she said, listen, it's time for, I, for me to find you a permanent house, Naomi. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to clean up, dress up, smell up, get some perfume on. And I want you to go down to the threshing floor where Boaz is. Dress in your nicest clothes and hide until he's done eating and drinking. Ladies, this is a good tip for when you need to have a talk with somebody who's male. Make sure he's finished the eating and the drinking. That's a fun life fact for you, okay? But listen to Ruth's reply. Ruth is so obedient in this moment. She says, I will do everything you say. I will do everything you say. And she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. So she creeps down to the threshing floor, and Boaz is working, probably got his shirt off, so she's like, oh, right? And he is like slaying it at the threshing floor, beating out the weed and getting all of the grain ready. And she waits for him. Ladies, your Boaz is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for to have a spouse who loves the Lord, who's going to take care of you. They're worth the wait. 
It's a side note for those of you who are waiting for your spouse. But she waits, and and he gets some food and, and has a drink, and then he lays down. And she does this weird Jewish thing where she, like, goes and takes his blanket and then, like, lays down at his feet under the blanket. So bro wakes up in the middle of the night, right? And he's like, what's this? My feet are toasty. Who keeping my feet warm? And he said, who this? And she said, it's me, Ruth. I was just wondering if you would like to marry me. She's got some pizzazz, man. She's going to ask him just in case he was unclear. She said, will you marry me? Right? Basically. So, so she, she tells him, listen, I think you're a hottie from Wiscotti. And we kind of need help. And you kind of got help. And so with Boaz in a carb coma, she makes her move. And Boaz is impressed. He says, girl, you could have had any guy in this village, especially the younger ones, but you chose me. And he said, I'm going to be obedient in doing the right thing, but the right thing is a little more complicated. He said, I am akin to you, which means I can buy Elimelech's property, but there's another who's actually closer. And I have to go see if he wants to buy the property Now, if he bought the property, here's the deal. The wives go with it. So he would also get Naomi and he would also get Ruth. And it would also mean that he had to marry Ruth so that the name of Kilion would not die out in the tribe. I know it's weird, but they were supposed to carry on the family line. So Boaz says, I promise you. As a matter of fact, he says in an oath, He says in an oath, may the Lord live as surely as the Lord lives. Does that remind you of something that Ruth said? As surely as the Lord lives, I will go with you. And Boaz says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will take care of this tomorrow. Now lay down and then before early light, sneak out because, you know, the dudes can't see you down here because that's sketchy. And she says, "Uh, bet I got this. Can I point out something to you? Obedience is the cart that carries God's goodness. If faithfulness paves the way, then your obedience is like building a cart so that you can roll God's goodness right back on that path of faithfulness that you just paved. And that's what Ruth does. She takes God at his word, and she says, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to obey what Naomi said. And Boaz says, I'm going to obey the cultural mandates of my city, and I'm going to obey the order of things, the right order of things. I'm going to do this the right way. And that obedience carries God's goodness with it. So Ruth obeyed Naomi, and Ruth then obeyed Boaz, even when it seemed like things might not turn out for her. When she realized, man, this might not be my boo, and I like him. And Boaz is like, girl, I, I got to check with, with your other relative to make sure this is kosher. That's a Jewish joke. Um, I got to check. And even when it didn't look like things might not turn out for her, she trusted God and obeyed anyway. 
How many times do we get frustrated when things don't look like they're going to turn out our way and we bail on God? You cannot bail on God when it doesn't look like you're going to get your way. You have to stay obedient and not give up because God has a plan. As a matter of fact, if I would ever title messages, and I don't normally do this, it would be God has a plan. Stay pretty. God has a plan. And Boaz knew the order of business and he knew the culture. And so that dude gets to step in first thing the next morning. Ruth tippy toes out and he's like, bet, wash up, let's go down. So he goes down to where everybody chills in the village and he knows the timing of when her other relative is going to show up. And he's like, I know that that joker is going to come down here at about 8 a.m. I'm going to get down there. So he goes down, and guys, I know this is really weird, but they like, he's like, hey, um, you know, Elimelech, his, his widow came back, and they have that little piece of property. I had heard that it's available, and I know that you're the next relative. Do you want it? And I bet Boaz kind of, heart, his heart kind of dropped in his stomach when the dude was like, yes, I will redeem it. I will do that. And he goes to take off his sandal, which is like some weird agreement thing back in ancient Near East. We take off your sandal. <clears throat> so Boaz goes, well, um, dude, listen, uh, if you do that, you're going to get the property, which is dope. It's a nice little plot. I've seen it. But also then you're going to get Ruth and you're going to have to marry her. And she's a Moabitess. Like he throws that in there on the side. And the guy goes, oh, right, the Moabitess. Well, see, the way my bank account is set up is that I like my inheritance. I don't want to, because I don't really, I don't like her that way, and I don't want to care any children for her. That would mess my, like, whole estate planning up. So I'm going to put my shoe back on. Because um, I'm not down for that. Like, I just kidding. JK, I don't want it. And so Boaz says, okay, I would like to buy it. And I have all of these witnesses here, because all the village was around at that point. I have all these witnesses here that I am hereby buying the estate of Elimelech, which includes Ruth, my boo. And he says, all right. So they have the whole sandal thing <laughs> exchange. I still don't get all that. Um, if you're going to come at me with a contract for a house, I don't want your shoe, okay? I want a signature and some money. So uh, the village elders then turned to Boaz, and, and they declared this. They said, may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended, May you prosper in Ephrata and may be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. That means super fruitful, guys. They bless them. Why? Because Ruth was faithful and obedient. And Naomi was faithful and obedient. And Boaz was faithful and obedient. 
When you follow after God in faithful obedience, it brings beauty even out of famine and even out of death. It's amazing what faithful obedience can do. I mean, Ruth's heart rises up in the face of the ugliest things in life. She lost her husband, guys. She lost her husband. She had no food, and her mother-in-law is freaking out, right? And she stays faithful, and she lived beautifully. So how do you and I, how can you and I cultivate faithful obedience in our lives? I'm going to give you three things this morning. If you're a note taker, you're a world changer, so make sure you write these three things down. They're going to be on the screen that I observe in Ruth's life. And the first one is this, start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. Back in verse 1, or chapter 1, when she declares to Naomi, listen, where you go, I go, and where you stay, I'll stay, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die. Stephen Covey, um, in his his famous book, um, says that habit number two is live with the end in mind. In other words, plan your funeral now. What do you want people to say about you? What do you want people to stand over your casket and say about your life? What do they want to say about, if, they, if you start from that premise of like, okay, this is what I want people to say about me, then you're going to be able to build a beautiful life that survives ugly circumstances. You're going to be able to start with the end in mind. Ruth said, where you go, I will go, and where you die, I will die. Reverse engineer your life. In my life, I want people to say, Emma faithfully carried the gospel until the end. She was faithful and obedient to God every day of her life. She was faithful to her husband and to the church. To her own hurt, she kept her word. So how do I reverse engineer that in my life? Well, I start by being faithful now. I start by by studying and making sure I'm the very best pastor and communicator that I can be. I continue my education and I stay faithful in educating myself and preparing myself. I stay faithful daily in prayer and Bible study so that I stay connected to the Lord. As a matter of fact, there's another safeguard I have in my life, and I have a spiritual director. Alfie and I both share the same spiritual director. We see her separately, and then we see her together as a couple. And this spiritual director is not a part of our church. She's not a part of our denomination. She has no affiliation with any of our leadership, so I can literally come and throw up on her, and she's like, okay, great. Now let's see what God has to say about that. As a matter of fact, one of the best and most annoying things she says almost every session, what do you sense the invitation of God in that? And I'm like, oh my God, where do I sense the invitation of God in my life not being great right now, right? And it's hard. It's a good question. But I have that safeguard in place because I want my spiritual life, I want my spiritual integrity to always be on point. I want to know that my soul is well. So we have that in place. So I know that in the end of my life, I want my faithfulness to God to be a point. So I make sure that I have checks and balances in place now so that my faithfulness lasts. What are you doing for your faithfulness? 
In our marriage, we have agreed upon um, a situation so that I remain faithful in my marriage and he remains faithful in our marriage. We have open conversations about who we're talking about. Usually if I text a person um, of the opposite gender or, or whatever, um, I usually include him or that person's spouse in it. So we always have openness. You know what? I don't meet with dudes. I just don't. Um, if you need counsel, call Alfie. That's who you're going to go to. Why? Because I want to honor the integrity of my marriage. Do I get it right all the time? No. But I have those checks and balances placed because at the end of my life, I want it to be said of me, she was a faithful wife. I want my kids to be godly men and a woman. And so I make sure that I have everything in place in our home. I screen TV. Yes, I say that they can't watch certain things. Yes, I tell them no a lot. As a matter of fact, my oldest son would tell you, Keen would tell you, that one of my famous phrases is, others may, but, and you may not. That's right. <laughs> others may, but you may not. Why? Because we have a godly home. One of my favorite things is Sabbath. One of the ways that we make sure that our home is faithful to the Lord is that we take Saturdays as our Sabbath. So from Friday uh, around five or six o'clock at night when we all get home from school and work until Saturday the same time, we Sabbath. That means I won't schedule things. I don't do things. I don't schedule ministry life. And we will unplug and play video games or play board games and we just eat and take nap and play. And you know what's great? Is this become such a practice in our life that my son Oliver goes, no, it's Sabbath. Tomorrow is Sabbath. I can't wait for Sabbath. And he knows now that it's a holy rest to God. And what does that mean for him in spiritual development? It means that he is associating the goodness of life, of rest, and good food, and laughing, and play with God. How cool is that? He thinks the Sabbath rocks. I feel like that's a win. I am reverse engineering your life. How are you reverse engineering your life? It might be really good if you're a couple in this joint to sit down with your spouse and say, okay, what is, what is the end goal for us? And how can we reverse engineer our home to reflect that? All right, number two, get gritty. Get gritty with it. Um, man, that's a really good Andy Minio song. Anyway, um, so get gritty. Listen, love is an action. Ruth acted in love toward Naomi. Uh, Ruth loved God and Naomi. Love is this. Love is valiant action on behalf of those who need it most. Valiant action. And I would just posit that if you are married, your spouse is the one who needs it most. Your marriage is the one that you should build up and where love should be valiant action. Listen, Ruth worked hard to give love and provision for Naomi, knowing that she couldn't really get anything in return. I want you to cultivate grit. Get gritty. You see, when Ruth was faced with lack 
and need, she went to work. Girl got dirty with it. She went out in the fields and she worked for it. She dug and she planted. Mamas, work for it. Papas, work for it. Develop grit. Stop quitting when life gets hard. Because guess what? It's probably just going to get harder. So if you don't cultivate grit by not quitting when it gets hard, you're going to falter and fail hard when life gets even harder later. Stop giving up. I love the generations coming after me, but I think sometimes they lack the ability to have that grittiness that says, no matter what, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. My aunt uh, and uncle have been married for quite some time, and I remember sitting around as a family unit, um, aunties and uncles and cousins, and <clears throat> it was their anniversary, and I remember them being asked, as Aunt Janet and Uncle Jim, by the way, um, what, what has kept your marriage for so long? And she said, stick to And I'll never forget it. Because what she was saying was she said, get grit. You stick with it. And you know, Aunt Janet is still sticking with it. And my Uncle Jim is barely able to move and he's wheelchair bound. And I have watched her pour out her love and faithful obedience in caring for him every day of his life. And you know what? She still goes on Facebook and calls him her hero. And she builds him up and loves him well. Man, that's grit. It's staying with it anyway. It's when you, when you feel like giving up, getting up and doing it again anyway. It's going to church when people hurt your feelings anyway. It's going to work when it doesn't go your way anyway. It's going home and doing sacrificial, valiant acts of love for your spouse even when you feel like they don't deserve it. Do it anyway. It's loving your kids when they're smart mouth and disrespected and treating you like garbage and you love them anyway. It's loving your mother and your father even when they are not acting right. Do it anyway. And when somebody breaks your heart and you feel betrayed and hurt, you forgive them anyway. Even when they don't ask for it. You do it anyway. Don't quit. Don't quit. Number three, pass it on. Ruth's facing the ugliness of her loss could have uh, driven her to completely abandon Naomi. Instead, she chose to enter the suffering with Naomi and committed to being a part of Naomi's world no matter what. She believed in passing on her love to Naomi. I want to challenge you today to be a part of someone's suffering. Instead of recoiling when you hear of a friend or a coworker or a family member suffering, push into the relationship. Don't just text them, take them to coffee. Don't just give them a phone call, go to their house. Take them food. Come on, that's like the international language of love right there, carbs. Like that's my husband's love language. It's C-A-R-B, carb, for sure. And listen, you cannot love somebody spiritually unless you're actively providing a solution for their physical needs. Because redemption is not just spiritual. You have to fulfill somebody's physical needs first. 
Sarah Dirk said it this way. She said, redemption cannot only be spiritual because God has allowed, always employed, embodied humans in providential ways to lavish redeeming love on the world. She says it this way later. God lavishes abundant provision when willing human partners are at hand. Become a willing human partner and pass on God's beauty to the ugly and the ugly circumstances of your life. Naomi passed on to Ruth a blessing and Boaz to Ruth, and it came right back to Naomi. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4, we see the end of this book, and we see the close of this beautiful relationship, and it ends with the descendants of Boaz and Ruth. And I think it's remarkable because Ruth and Boaz, brown chicken, brown cow, and have a baby. If you don't get that, it's okay. Brown chicken, brown cow. Um, so they have this son. And in the end of the book, Ruth places her son in Naomi's arms. And Naomi says, my God, you've given me back a son. And all of her neighbors said, Naomi, look at you. You have a son. And that son, his name was Obed. And he became the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, King David. A Gentile woman through faithful obedience not only became the heir of King David, but if you trace David's lineage down, you'll find that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, God incarnate, was the great, 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 great grandson of Ruth. How amazing. When you are obedient and faithful to God, he will not forget you. And you will be blessed, I promise. Listen, if you're here this morning <coughs> and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to invite you to recognize in Ruth maybe some of your own life circumstances. And I just want to tell you that no matter your circumstances, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose again for you so that you could have a relationship with him that would bless you for eternity. If you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, I would encourage you to pray with me now. And then in just a few minutes, you're going to have the opportunity to either text or to scan a QR code with your phone. So you feel free to get your phones out while we pray together. Say something like this to God in your heart. Jesus, I need you. I want to be blessed, but my circumstances haven't always been pretty and I need a better way to respond. I want to, I want to uh, plan with the end in mind and, and I want to get gritty and, and do the work and be faithful and obedient. And I want to be able to pass it on to others, but first I need to get it right with you. I'm saying yes to you today, Jesus. And I'm going to be faithful and obedient. Help me. Confirmed by your Holy Spirit now that we're good. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that with me in your heart, I would love for you to scan this QR code or text, that's me to 94,000, and we'll connect with you this week. <coughs> Listen, if you are interested in recommitting your life, I don't know if maybe the circumstances of life have driven you away from God, but you need to come back to God. If you need to say, I'm back, God, I'm coming back to you, you can do that uh, this morning as well. You have opportunity to snap a QR code on the screen as well as we pray. Father, uh, we're coming back. We're coming back to you. We want to rededicate ourselves to you. We want to recommit our lives to you. And we pray that you would receive us and that you would help us to be faithful and obedient no matter what. I say I'm back this morning. I'm back, Jesus. If that's you and, and you said that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to snap that QR code or say, I'm back to 94,000. And we're going to just text you this week. We're not going to hound you. We just want to text you and let you know that we're praying with you and to help you take your next steps in your relationship with Christ. Listen, <clears throat> I want to finally close with an opportunity for you and I to partner with um, the refugees in Ukraine. Um, if you didn't know this, we're a Wesleyan church. This is actually a Wesleyan denominational church. Um, and our church, big church, has a Wesleyan Emergency Relief Fund. It's a special fund specifically for emergency situations like the one faced by Ukraine refugees. If you would like to give to this, it's very simple. You would give like you normally give online or through text. Um, and all you have to do is when you get to the website where it gives you like which fund you're giving to or where you're going to direct your giving to, you're going to hit the drop-down box and you're going to find the one that says WERF Ukraine. And that's the one where you want to give to. And we're going to forward all of that fund um, right to the Wesleyan Emergency Relief Fund. And that goes directly to Ukrainian refugees who are receiving food and shelter and uh, all of the necessities that they need <clears throat> as people fleeing their homes. So I hope that you uh, pass it on after you get some grit and you plan with the end in mind today. I pray that you would be blessed. I'm going to pray for you as we go, and then Alfie's going to come out and give you a little more direction. Father, I just thank you for your spirit, and I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would use this word to make us holy, even as you, Christ Jesus, are holy. Help us to be more like you daily so that we can pass on the blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.